I also wanted to thanks, say thanks for following along. If you're here last week, we, you know we had a bit of a family day. We had all the kids in with us. We talked about the scripture in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. I did an illustration with my boys up here and Legos, and it was a little chaotic, but it's okay. They're kids, and I knew it would be that way. So grateful to have all of our kids in this church. Kids equal life. Kids equal a church that's living and, and breathing, and I'm uh, so glad you're bringing your kids and your grandkids um, so thanks for bearing with us. It was a little different uh, last week. Uh, it's really important that our kids know, kids, teenagers, as, as long as we call them kids, it's important they know that we love them and we think they're valuable. No matter what they're going through, no matter how bad school is, no matter what thing they did wrong, we love them and we think they're valuable. More than that, God loves them and he thinks they're valuable. And it's our job to let them know that as best we can. Uh, you can turn your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, we are getting close to be done with the whole book. Uh, we are working through uh, this section of Ephesians that's focused on all of the most important relationships in our lives. We started a couple weeks ago by talking about the husband and wife relationship. Last week we talked about the relationship, like we said, between kids and parents. Two main things to remember for kids, and uh, you know, parents, you'll have to relay this to your kids. Kids are to obey their parents. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But there's a reason in there, and the reason is because kids, all of you, if you're in here or you're hearing it on YouTube or whatever, kids, all of you, you belong to God. God has written his name on you, and you belong to him. So parents, we got to let our kids know God has written his name on them, and don't ever let them forget it. When the world tries to put their stamp on them, you let them know, hey, God has written his name on you. And when their kids obey their parents or some authority figure in their life, the Bible says that it will go well with them, and they will have a long life. For parents, we have to remember, there's this verse in there about not exasperating your kids. It means we have to discipline our kids, but we have to do it in love and in a way that works for them. And the only thing you can't do is fail to discipline. You can discipline whatever way you see fit. The only thing you can't do is fail to do it at all. Uh, and your kids need consistency. So go back and listen to it last week if you want to catch that, if you missed it. So we've talked through those two very important parts of your life. I think we would all say our, our relationship with our spouse, if we have one, is important. Our relationship with our kids is very important. And now, at first glance, it takes kind of a strange turn. If you've got your Bible open, you probably see a section title. I can see, I'm sure you can see that, you know, we talked about marriage. We talked about kids. And now it says slaves and masters. Slaves and masters. It takes kind of a strange turn. And before we get into this and how it applies to us, we need to set it up. Uh, we're going to go a little inside baseball, so to speak. So it's funny. I love baseball. You know that. But there's this term that uh, young people use these days, inside baseball. And that just means you're going to get into, like, the nitty-gritty details of something. So before we get into this, we need to do a little bit of that, or it really won't make any sense. Uh, baseball's a really good example because it has a lot of random details that uh, if you don't know them, the game makes no sense. If you do know them, it does make sense. Uh, I remember this time when, this is when my wife and I were dating. You remember when you were dating and you pretended that everything that mattered to the other person actually mattered to you, no matter what it was? <laughs> so uh, Chandra was in Seattle and I was here, and this was before you could watch every baseball game online, and I was actually at the church working, and there was a Dodger game on regular network TV, and she had called me. This back, back then, uh, you couldn't talk on the phone unlimited all the time. You had to wait for nights and weekends or else you got charged extra. So I'm dating myself here, right? Nights and weekends. So it was a Saturday. Working at the church. I had the Dodger game on the coffee bar. And so, of course, 
we're dating, so she is pretending like baseball is interesting, and she wants to learn about it. <laughs> if you go ask her now if, she, if baseball is interesting, she will tell you a flat no. Absolutely not. But we're watching it, right? I don't remember who was pitching for the Dodgers, but I watched a lot of baseball. And if you know this, if you watch baseball, um, as if the pitcher's good, uh, they set guys up for certain pitches, right? So this pitcher, she's throwing fastball after fastball after fastball. And I was on the phone with her, and uh, she had noticed they could throw different pitches, and I said, oh, here comes the curve. And sure enough, guy throws the curve. And she said, how'd you know that? Because I knew the inside baseball details, right? If you watch baseball, they speed them up with the fastball, and they throw the, slow, the, throw the slower thing. It's kind of like that. You, we can understand this passage about slaves and masters if we understand the details. Why Paul was even talking about this. Why is he talking about slaves and masters in the Bible? Why should we even talk about it? Well, the reason is this. One of them is God cares about all the small details of our lives. It might seem like he does, and it might seem like he's big and far away, but God cares about the small details of our lives. He cared about the details of the Ephesians' lives. He proves it to us in passages like this. So lest you think that God is far away and impersonal, here's a passage that gives us specific direction about a part of our lives that at first glance doesn't seem spiritual at all. We also need to talk about why in the world slavery is mentioned here at all. Why is slavery in the Bible? And why does Paul just not write slavery is bad and leave it there? We need to understand a couple of things. One of them is that slavery in the Roman Empire was not like the slavery that we had in uh, America pre-Civil War. In America, slavery was based on race. It was almost always lifelong. We can confidently say that type of slavery that America practiced early on, <coughs> excuse me, early on was 100% wrong, completely shameful. Many were harmed and mistreated, and it's not a part of our history to be proud of. The way that African Americans were treated in the early years of America was shameful, should never be repeated. We can say that at church. It was a wrong thing. But uh, the slavery that was happening in the Roman Empire wasn't exactly the same as that. And for this passage to make any sense, we needed to know why it was called slavery, what it was like for them in Paul's day, in the Roman Empire. The biggest difference is slavery then was not based on race. Your race did not make you a slave. Many times it was not lifelong. And that by itself makes them very different from each other. You became what was called a slave in the Roman Empire and in other ways. You could be captured in a war. There was still, you know, conquests going on. You could be captured in a war. You could be homeless and jobless, and there was no way to get off the street, so you could just offer yourself to someone's house. You could have an inability to pay your debts, and the best way to uh, pay them is to go try and work it off. Sometimes it was just simply a better situation for a family to go be a servant or what they called a slave in a family, and struggle along on your own. There were situations that were worse. There were children that were abandoned, that were taken and abused. There's parents that just sold their kids to other families, especially if they had girls, because boys were the thing you wanted to have. And this type of behavior is condemned all over the place in the Bible. Uh, for starters, way back in Exodus 21, you remember the Israelites, they were in bondage, uh, slavery to the Egyptians. They had been enslaved because of their race. They were enslaved because they were Israelites. And they were, when they were freed, here is what God told them, Exodus 21, 16. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. So in the Roman Empire, 
somewhat similar, though not exactly like the culture we live in today. Those reasons we were describing, although you don't often get captured in a war and put to work, at least in, in the western half of the world, but um, a lot of those situations we described, right, being in debt to someone and going to work it off, those are the kind of things that we see happen today. We also see terrible, awful, shameful people kidnap kids and adults to do human trafficking. That's an awful and shameful thing. It's never to be excused. But again, it was not based on color or even social status in the Roman Empire. The other major difference is that in almost every case in the Roman Empire, uh, there was a path to becoming what they call a freedman. You could work your way out of slavery in a lot of cases. In many cases, the goal was for a family to be freed by 30 years old. However, in the meantime, they were often, not always, but often, well, they could be somewhat like employees. It was common, actually, for slaves to be more educated than their masters. It was common for a master to own something like a bank or some sort of business in town. But the slaves and the servants to do not only the everyday uh, eight to five work, but to do the higher level work like management or oversight. Someone who was called a slave in the Roman Empire, they were often paid some type of wage and they could own property. Often they were considered part of the family. Uh, Sometimes they could become heirs in a fortune or inheritance that was passed down. The masters who were good masters, they nearly always allowed their servants or their slaves to purchase their freedom if they wanted to work their way towards it. And one major, major difference was when they became free in the Roman Empire, they became full Roman citizens. And they had all the rights and the privileges that came with being a Roman citizen. One really well-known case, if you've read the Bible, uh, this will make you smile. Uh, There's a case of this man named Felix. Now, Felix started as a slave in the Roman Empire, but he rose all the way to being the governor of Judea. And we know him as the governor who threw Paul, the writer of this letter, in prison in Acts 23. So the one who threw Paul in prison started out as a slave in the Roman Empire. That alone tells you it was different. In fact, some say 500,000 slaves were freed in the Roman Empire in the 30 years between 81 and 49 B.C., the, the... Numbers countdown, remember. We need all this background so we can understand why Paul spends this time talking uh, to what are called slaves. You see, Paul's talking here about the most important relationships in the households of these early Christians. How to be a good husband and wife. How to parent your kids. And Paul is uh, wanting them to know that God cares how they act in their everyday relationships. And Paul doesn't condone slavery here. He doesn't say it's good. Notice that Paul talks about both marriage and parenthood, if you go back and read those, he talks about those as things that are ordained by God. These are awesome things. But he does not talk that way about slavery. What he does do is he writes a letter to these people and he talks to them about the right way to act within the situation that they were in. Because many people that were becoming Christians in the New Testament, they were servants in someone's house. So they were faced with figuring out how do I live a godly life in this time in which I live? How do I live a godly life as someone who has freedom in Christ when I am a slave to this household? Paul also, he undermines slavery even the way they were practicing it by what he writes here. He gives these people a way to act that's going to undermine uh, everything about the way they've been living. The reason that this is here is that it's an important part of their daily life, um, and they had to figure out how to live within the context of their situation. 
And this is where it intersects for us. See, Paul was talking to them about how, he, how they could thrive in the situations they were in. Many places in the Bible we could spend all morning talking about them where it says that slavery is wrong. But here, Paul is talking to them, talking to them about how to thrive in a situation that they might wish they weren't in. And that should resonate with us, because I think all of us, if we're honest, would say, I've been in a situation I wish I wasn't in. You might be in one right now where you're in a situation in your work or your family or whatever, and you just wish you weren't in it. And for that reason, the principles that Paul gives us here, they apply to us really readily in 2022, to what we call the daily grind, right? Your daily grind is your routine, Going to work, coming home, paying your bills on time, giving the kids a bath, rinse and repeat, do it all the next day. I don't know what your daily grind looks like. Ours actually looks a little bit different right now. I didn't mention this earlier. We, so we closed on a house, and we're, we're trying to move to Boise this week. We are moving to Boise sometime. It's going to be awesome. We're really excited about it. But our daily grind right now looks like uh, try to find stuff that's not in boxes and use it because everything is in boxes. But... That's your daily grind, right? Your routine, the stuff you do every day. And the reason the same principles apply now as 2,000 years ago is because, here's the reason, thriving in our, in our daily life has more to do with our hearts than our job. Thriving in your daily life has more to do with your heart than the circumstances you face every day. You see, the key to a fulfilled everyday, a fulfilled life, it's not a perfect situation, Key to a fulfilled life is a heart that's governed by God's principles. The ones that are written down in Ephesians right here. Let's read about those principles, okay? What God says to slaves and masters, or for 2022, you can think of it as employees and bosses, loosely. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 says this. Slaves, I'm reading out the NIV today. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This morning, I have three things I believe that Paul teaches us about the daily grind. The first one is this. In our daily grind, we should serve with sincerity. Within these few verses, Paul, he's about to upend the entire way that they talk about, they think about their daily grind. And it can do the same thing for us. If we practice these things, it can upend the way you live your life. He's telling them that instead of working begrudgingly, my wife would call it being an Eeyore if you've ever watched Winnie the Pooh. He's telling them that instead of working begrudgingly, then instead they should serve their master or their boss. And this is revolutionary. They should serve their master or their boss as if they're serving Christ. So the boss that you don't like, the person you're frustrated with, you're supposed to serve them as if you are serving Christ. Think about how we describe it when we serve Christ. We talk often about giving our life to Jesus. God is saying here that we should serve our bosses just the same way we serve Christ. That's pretty serious. Obey your earthly masters, and it says this, with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. 
Now, you might have already realized something, and you might feel the same way that I do about it. That there's nothing in here about serving sincerely just as long as your boss is a good boss. I kind of wish it said that. If you have a great boss, go serve them sincerely. (laughs) If you have a terrible boss, go be as big a stinker as you want. And it doesn't say that in there. All it says is to serve with deep respect. And it's a high calling. Now, the difference between then and now, when this was written and now, is that if you feel like you don't have a great boss now, you're free to go find another job. You can go find another boss if you want to. They had a solution that took longer in most cases in the Roman Empire. They could work and save and ultimately be free. Today, you can just go find another job a lot of times. Give you two weeks, hopefully, go find another job. However, there's this problem that often uh, crops up in our culture. And if I step on your toes here, if I make you mad, sorry. That's what we got to do sometimes. Uh, it's easy to jump from place to place, job to job, boss to boss, situation to situation. And we can come up with myriad reasons, all kinds of reasons. We can say, ah, the pay is too low. I think I've talked to you about the guy who's paying me, uh, he charged $70 for me to walk in the room and he's paying me 10 He was the boss. We can say the pay is too low. Man, the hours are too hard. The boss is too mean. I don't like my coworkers. The stacks in the break room aren't good enough. I want real Oreos and all they have in there is knockoff Oreos. I just can't deal with that. That'd be a serious problem, right? Let me tell you this. If we're always jumping from place to place to place to place and nothing's ever good enough, it's possible that there's a problem with the sincerity of our heart and not with our job. I didn't expect anyone to amen that one at all, actually. <laughs> You're saying, what? This is in the Bible? Yeah, that's what it's talking about here, serving with a sincere heart. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I don't have anyone specific in mind or anything like that. But uh, there's times when we, including myself in here, there's times when we have to look in the mirror and we have to realize that the problem might be us. I might have to look in the mirror and realize, John, you are the problem. It's not someone else's fault. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying there's never a reason to leave a job. Um, I do believe that when we work hard and we're faithful, that God rewards it. And uh, he probably won't reward you, say you're working hard in a job you don't like. He probably won't reward you just by dropping a, a like, bucket of cash out of the sky. He's more likely to just lead you to a job with better pay or better benefits or better hours or whatever you need. Probably give you a chance to work harder, make more money. And notice that nowhere in here does it say if you don't like your boss or your job is frustrating or you don't like your master, just stop working. It doesn't say that at all. It says serve sincerely with deep respect. We work hard and are faithful. God rewards it. Now, God is not saying that in 2022, you have to do things that are against his word for the sake of being a good employee. I'm not telling you to do that. If you've got uh, a boss that's asking you to do things that are against the word of God truly, um, that's a reason to think about leaving. And that's kind of an overarching theme of serving God, right? You got to decide. Are you going to do what the world says to do or are you going to do what God says to do? This great example in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, after Jesus has died, risen again, ascended to heaven. Peter and John, they're teaching the people. 
And they're commanded by the religious guys, by the Sanhedrin, to stop. And here is Peter and John's response when they're told to stop doing anything that God has told them to do. Acts 4, 19 and 20. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. Right? They believed that these guys were telling them to do something that was not godly, so they were going to do the godly thing. And sometimes you do got to do that. Sometimes you have to do it and not quit the job. Just say, hey, I'm not going to be able to do that. I, I was working this job at a tech place, and I think I've told you that uh, working in a production company, was a, it was a lot of, like, loading and unloading trucks, a lot of, like, installing TVs on walls and restaurants, like, pretty hard work. And uh, after a while, the boss was like, hey, I want you to do some sales. You could like, sit at this desk and, like, call people and answer the phone and try and sell them and, like, you know, try and sell them microphones and stuff. I was like, that sounds awesome. Less truck loading. Less climbing on sketchy ladders all the time. Less being out in the field. That sounds great. So he gives me this price list of what our cost is on all the things. And he tells me what he wants me to charge the people to buy the stuff when they call. And maybe I'm just really bad at sales, but I just could not do it. Like, within, and be honest. I could not sincerely say, hey, this thing's going to cost you X, 75% more than you could just Google it and buy online. I didn't know why people wouldn't just Google it, right, if they're just calling us. And I just had to tell the guy no. And at the time, the economy was down. It was not a great time to not have a job, but I said, I'm not going to be able to do that. You probably better assign me to something else. Which he did. I went and did other work. Sometimes that's what you got to do. And I'll tell you this. If you honor God in your job in a way like that, he will always take care of you. He'll give you favor with the boss, provide you a better job. God's going to honor you if you do what's right. You got to do your best to live your life according to God's word. And in our culture, we're free to move jobs if we like. However, these next three verses, they give us really direct instruction on how you be a good employee no matter where God has you. And you might feel like this doesn't apply because the people that Paul was writing to, uh, they were slaves or servants. But our situation here, it's actually infinitely easier because we're not slaves and servants. And these commands, therefore, should be easier to follow. So in most cases, our situation is better. And in our job, if we can manage to do these couple of things, there's a really high likelihood that it's going to go well for us if we can do this stuff. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 6 says this, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. There's a couple different contexts, ways to think about this verse and the next one. We mentioned earlier that Paul, he was giving the Ephesians these commands, and these commands, would, they would just literally subvert the fabric of slavery in their time. Around this time, slavery, as they knew it, began to die out. And the reason it began to die out was the people were becoming Christians by the thousands. And they began to do exactly what they said. They began to treat their masters as they treat Christ instead of like someone who was forcing something upon them. And so Paul, what he's saying is, hey, you serve a higher master. You serve God. You don't serve the earthly master. And it began a massive change in their culture. And the concept though it transfers today. And that concept is this, and that is that God's will is that we should work hard whether the boss is watching or not. 
There's some practical things to note here, right? If your boss, if our boss is having to keep tabs on us all the time to see if we're really working, then the boss can't do the things that only the boss can do. And any good boss, they're going to notice if the results are happening, whether they're watching or not. And I can tell you this. I can tell you from experience, working in this way, the same no matter who is watching, it's going to result in one of a few things or maybe all these things happening. You work this way when the boss isn't watching, you're probably going to get a raise. You might get a promotion and a raise. Someone at another company might notice you and they might hire you away. Or God might just divinely direct you to a job that's better. When you honor him and you work hard whether the boss is watching or not. It says right here in verse 6, it's God's will for us to work this way. In our life, we've talked about this over and over. We always will. Life has an interesting way of working out for us uh, when we follow God's will. So when we do the will of God, which is to work even when no one's watching, we let the rest take care of itself. Man, that's a way to change the dynamic of your daily grind. You work like the boss is watching even if he's not. That's the way to change the dynamic between you and your boss. See, God cares about the little, intricate, small details of our life. Verse 7 and 8 contains a similar idea, and they kind of lead us to our next point. And that is that in our daily grind, we should remember the result. Verse 7 and 8 says this, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Serve wholeheartedly. A quick look at some other translations gives us a little more insight as to what Paul's getting at here. I think I have one on the screen. Um, New Living Translation says, work with enthusiasm. New, New King James says, with goodwill, doing service. The message, which is, you know, the more easy to read, paraphrase, says, work with a smile on your face. Easy to understand. So we can see here plainly what God is asking us to do. God is asking us as his people, his servants on earth, God is asking us to work with a spirit that's representative of who he is. Because God's given us the joy of our salvation. You have all run into employees that do this well. I know you have. Chandra and I did just this past Friday as we were picking out flooring. So a long, dramatic story I'll tell you, hap- tell you sometime about what happened with our house. But we closed on this house. Uh, we're about to close, but... We have to install a new floor before we can move in, and we kind of had a deadline to get it happening. So our, we found a flooring company, and he sent us to some places, and uh, we went to a couple places and didn't really find a lot, and we were on a deadline. We had a small budget, and we showed up at this place. Uh, if you want to go check it out, they did a great job. Lumber, it used to be called Lumber Liquidators. I don't know what it's called now, but uh, we showed up there at 9.30 a.m. on a Friday morning, us two and the boys, uh, and we're like, we got to pick out some floor in like the next hour. We have to get this done. And this guy, man, he was so helpful. He was like patient. And basically what happened is we would find a cheap thing and then we decide that thing is not going to work. I mean, over and over and over again. We went round and round and round until we finally found something that would work. But man, this guy was helpful. He was totally doing what was in here. He was working with a smile on his face every time he suggests something. And we would think it would work, and then we would change our mind. He'd come up with another idea with a smile on his face. I don't know if the guy's a believer, but it wouldn't surprise me if he is, just by the heart he showed. Now, I can speak from experience, and I know many of you can. 
it can be really hard to work with a smile on your face sometimes. But God cares about whether we do. That's why he put it in here. Because the truth is, sometimes the situation is not ideal. If you're working a job, and these are just examples, they're, they're going to sound personal for me, right? Sometimes you're supposed to install a thing, and the part is late. And the boss doesn't want the client to know the part's late, so you're just like twiddling your thumbs. Sometimes you're waiting for the boss to put gas in the company vehicle before you can go anywhere. Sometimes you are faced with the task of cleaning up someone else's unfinished work. Sometimes you're working in an unheated warehouse and the sun hasn't come up yet. It's five degrees outside. That's a personal one I experienced once. These are just things I've experienced in the past little while, past, you know, 10, 15 years. And I'm sure you're making similar connections in your mind. The times you've been working and you haven't loved it. But this next part, it's so important. You see, we aren't working with enthusiasm because the situation is awesome. The reason we work with enthusiasm is because we're not working for man, but we're working for God. We're working for the creator of the universe. Serve wholeheartedly, it says this, as if you were serving the Lord. Man, I like that, as if you were serving the Lord. Here's the crazy thing, when we do this, God does something for us in return. We serve wholeheartedly as if we were serving the Lord. The Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Worst situation, best situation, the Lord is going to reward you the same. Calls on this earlier concept we touched on. Again, there's no mention of whether we've got a good boss or a good job or a bad boss or a bad job or whether we don't. God will reward us the same for following his commands, no matter who's in charge. For the Ephesians, right, it meant whether they were slave or free. Whether they had a great master or a terrible one. If they were a valued member of a household with an important role, or maybe they were truly a servant doing the most menial tasks, the reward for working in a godly way, it was going to come. Because God promises us that it will. And for us, whether our pay is high or low, whether we feel like we're getting paid what we deserve or not, most of us think we deserve more than we're getting, right? (laughs) Whether the hours are perfect or whether they are frustrating. Whether the actual work is fulfilling or not. The reward for working in a godly way, it's going to come either way. Also, working in this way has this particular side effect on the person doing the work. Proverbs 18, 14 says this. The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? I don't think this is on the screen, but I'll write it down. A glad heart that is working for a greater purpose, can endure great hardship. If your heart is glad, but you're in a hard situation because you're doing the Lord's work, man, you can endure a lot. So the reward for working in a godly way, working hard no matter what, working with a glad heart, it's the same either way. And when the Christians in the Roman Empire, and there was a whole bunch of them started working this way, it started to just completely destroy their version of slavery from within. Because it changed the dynamic between the master and the servant. No longer was a servant uh, working with an Eeyore attitude. And I would submit to you today, in every one of our jobs, every single thing that we do as Christians, if it was enough to break the chains of slavery in the entire Roman Empire, then it's enough to bring us favor in our workplace in 2022. 
It broke the chains of slavery. It can help you in your workplace. It can change the dynamic in your workplace. The bottom line is that in our daily grind, our devotion to Christ should affect our work. Man, if you walk out of here remembering one thing, remember that our devotion to Christ should affect our work. In our final verse this morning, we see in our daily grind, number three, we should lead with kindness. Now, if you're someone here, he's been talking to to slaves and servants. Now he's talking to masters and bosses. If you're someone here who's had the honor of leading, responsibility of leading, God gives us very direct instruction right here. Verse nine says this. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. You see, we tend to get caught up in titles on this earth a little bit. And to be sure, God does give certain people the privilege of leading. But the number one way to be a good boss or a good leader is to remember in heaven, in God's eyes, there's no distinction between boss and employer, employee. Remember what we've been talking about throughout all of Ephesians. Paul says it over and over again. All of us are sons and daughters in the same family. All of us are sons and daughters in the family of God. And the Bible is just littered with scriptures that drive this point home. I love Proverbs. I think I'm going to teach on it a little bit on Wednesdays in the fall. I have a few of, a few of them up there on the screen for you. Proverbs 22, 2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Elon Musk are barely scraping by. The Lord is the maker of them all. I just picked a random rich guy. Proverbs 29, 13. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of, the both, of both. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. What God is asking masters to do here, leaders and bosses in 2022, he's asking people to practice the golden rule that Jesus spoke of in our interaction uh, with those who we may lead. So God's message to us is this, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. I think sometimes in our hearts we get the golden rule messed up and what we do is we treat others like they're treating us. So if they treat us badly, we treat them badly. But it's actually the other way around. We treat others the way we'd like to be treated. And in practicality, if you're leading in any context, this means that we should lead in a few ways. We should lead with integrity. Be honest. Often the most kind thing that a leader can do is be honest. However, that honesty should come with respect. Even if it may not seem like somebody deserves respect, here's the thing. The decision about whether someone deserves respect, it's not up to us. That's for God to decide. So we're to give it to people regardless. That's what it's telling us here. We should lead with humility. Simply, if you're a leader in this place, uh, we don't make assumptions whether uh, we're better than anyone else or whether we aren't. we lead also with gentleness. Somebody that I greatly respect told me a a while back that we should lead by inspiration and not intimidation. Lead with humility, with gentleness. And if you're leading, friends, and, and I believe that as you follow God faithfully, 
He tends to give you influence and opportunities to lead when you least expect it, when you don't expect it. That's been my experience. That we should cling really tightly to that last line we read of verse 9. If you're a leader, cling tightly to this, verse 9. There is no favoritism with him. There is no favoritism with God. Favoritism, what does that mean? It simply means that we look and see who someone is before we decide how to treat them. we're leading we got to understand there's no favoritism in God no favoritism in the kingdom of heaven it's not that you don't lead with strength or that you don't make hard decisions that are in the best interest of whatever it is you're in charge of but there is this really heavy responsibility bestowed upon you in this verse and we have to remember it's so so important that all of us every single one of us richest poorest, most influence, least influence, all of us are under equal authority of God. An interesting thing is that many of us, we might be doing both things at the same time. We might be serving underneath someone while being authority in authority over others. But all of these ideas that we've talked about today, they shorten the distance between the servant and the master. They shorten the distance between the boss and the employee. In a little bit, we're just going to pray for wisdom together for each of us in every situation. But I want you to know, if you're here today, the reason that God sent his son down into our mess is that he cares deeply about our mess. The reason God spent some time talking about slaves and masters, employees and bosses, and the reason that he sent his son is that he cares about those details. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure whether God loves you or whether he cares about you, he does know that this morning. That's why he sent his son and that's why he wrote this stuff down. That's why he gives us direction about our daily grind. Uh, would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Uh, we're just going to close. Um, um, this last night as I was going through these uh, notes and just uh, meditating on the stuff that written down on the scripture, uh, I really felt led and, and uh you bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking around right now. Really felt led to pray for people uh, just to end the service, for people to be able to work with a glad heart, with the joy of the Lord. So if you're here this morning and uh, you would love uh, for, I'm not going to call you up, I'm just going to pray over you from up here. You would love God to be with you and help you to work with a glad heart. Would you just raise your hand this morning just as a, a, uh, just an act of faith? Awesome. Thank you for doing that pray for you today. Lord Jesus, thank you for these people who come to this church this morning and heard from your word. Thank you, Lord, that you understand what we're going through. Jesus, you walked in our shoes and uh, you know every single thing that we face, every emotion we feel. But I pray for those that are in this place and uh, they, they're in a job situation uh, that's hard for them and maybe it's hard to go every day. Maybe it's hard to go and serve uh, with an honest, with a glad heart. Um, Lord, I pray over every single one of them that this moment you would give them the joy of your salvation. Lord, I pray you would help them to go to work tomorrow where whenever they go, maybe it's later today, I pray that you would help them when they go to remember they're not uh, doing this for their boss, but they're doing it for you. Lord, I pray that your light as we do this, as uh, we work hard even when the boss isn't watching, as we work with a smile on our face, uh, Lord, I pray that your light would shine through us ever brighter. 
there'd be people that walk out of this place today because they begin to do their work as if they're doing it for you instead of their boss. Lord, that, uh, that the people around them would notice a difference. And Lord Jesus, that you would give them opportunities to talk about you, uh, to invite them to church. Uh, Lord, I pray for every person that's been struggling in their job uh, this morning that's represented here. I pray that you would give them gladness in their heart for all the blessings you've given them. And I pray that tomorrow uh, they'd be able to work uh, with encouragement, with a smile on their face as if they're working for you instead of their boss. Lord, for those that have just been struggling, I pray you would bind them up. Let your presence, your encouragement be with them today. Lord, thank you that your word is alive and sharp as a two-edged sword and uh, is relevant to us even 2,000 years later. Pray that it, uh, the things we've talked about today would find deep places in our hearts. Lord Jesus, that you would find us with your grace and mercy and then go with us this morning. Praise things in your name, Lord.